Hello, welcome back everyone to another episode of On The Mix. I'm your host, Lindsay, and today I'm going to be talking about Christy Hind of The Pretenders. Now, a new series on Hulu has just come out on The Sex Pistols, and I thought it was utterly fascinating. Um, I've done a podcast episode on The Pistols, so I knew quite a bit of this information already. Um, But there was some information that I didn't really know that I thought was really, really fascinating. This series mainly stems from the viewpoint of Steve Jones of the Sex Pistols. He was the guitarist. And apparently, Johnny Rotten, or his actual name, John Lloyden, is not a fan of this series. He has protested this series. He does not like this series. But I saw the whole thing. It's only six episodes. It's very, very good. Um, I think the actors that played each of the characters were really spot on. Um, But one of the characters in this series that I didn't know um, who they were, her name was Chrissy. And I was like, who is this Chrissy Hind? Like, is she a musician? Like, who is she? So I googled Chrissy Hind and lo and behold, she's the singer of The Pretenders. Now, I knew of The Pretenders. I think they're very, very famous. Her name was Chrissy Hind. I didn't know. I also thought that the band was fully English, but Chrissy Hind is American. And it's fascinating to me to hear and learn about her story. Um, they don't really say what her story is really in the show, but I'm like, she is a fascinating person and I would really be interested to learn more about her and her life before she became embroiled with the Sex Pistols, which is something I didn't know about genuinely. Um, so without further ado, I'm going to take you back to Chrissy's early life. I'm going to lead you all the way through her meeting the Sex Pistols how she almost married not only one, but another Sex Pistol, and then uh, her career in The Pretenders, just to kind of give you some awesome information. So, Chrissy was born in Akron, Ohio on September 7th, 1951. She is the daughter of a part-time secretary and a Yellow Pages manager. When she was 12, she was given a baritone ukulele, which I had no idea that ukuleles could come in varying tones, I thought, Ukuleles only came in just the straight version, but she was given a baritone ukulele and a book of chords by her parents. And then a year later, her parents also bought her an acoustic Zimgar guitar. Also, when she was 13, she went to a store with her parents and on the rack was the first Beatles single, I Want to Hold Your Hand. And this is where she said she immediately fell in love with music, but not only music, she fell in love particularly with the British invasion. She said, quote, I fell in love with the band right there. The Beatles shattered my averageness, and after hearing them, bands turned me on. I used to write the names of British bands on my notebook and on magazine pictures. It was an obsession. What I really admire about her was she had the tenacity to actually follow her dream of moving from small town America and moving to London. From my recollection and understanding, she still lives in London um, and has a family in London. So I applaud her for that. That's always been the biggest dream of mine is to move to England. So the fact that she did it, it's really interesting because this is kind of one of those stories where like I only had a hundred dollars and a dream and I followed my dream. And of course, it almost seems very fairy tale. Like, of course, it could only happen in the 70s that this would even be a possibility. So she graduated from Firestone High School in Akron, but stated that, quote, I was never too interested in high school. I mean, I never went to a dance. I never went out on a date. I never went steady. It became pretty awful for me, except, of course, I could go see bands, and that was the kick. I used to go to Cleveland just to see any band. 
So I was in love a lot more of the time, but mostly with guys in bands that I had never met. For me, knowing that Brian Jones was out there and later that Iggy Pop was out there made it kind of hard for me to get too interested in the guys that were around me. I had uh, bigger things in mind. Chrissy said that she was an awkward teen during the British invasion of the 60s and that music was a lifeline. She would also tune into Cleveland's underground radio stations and she would sift through record bins, obviously to find any kind of music. She said that Frank Zappa's Freak Out was obviously a revelation for her. So very interesting there. And she went to every concert that would come through Cleveland, Ohio, such as like Janis Joplin, The Velvet Underground, Sly and the Family Stone, The Who, Tim Buckley, and Jackie Wilson. And it's really, really sick about the whole thing with Jackie Wilson is apparently she went to go see Jackie Wilson when she was like high school age, like a teenager. And apparently Jackie Wilson picked her from the crowd and he kissed her, which is sick. That's gross. Like, ugh. She also said that she once gave David Bowie a ride in her parents' Oldsmobile, which was a fact that was later said in the Sex Pistols series, so, which I'm like, what? You gave David Bowie a ride in your car? Come on, that's insanity. So she graduated high school, and then she attended Kent State University's art school for three years, and this was where she would join her first band. And uh, Kent State University is most known for the massacre that happened where four students were shot and killed at Kent State University. It was actually written by Neil Young, I believe, and it was given to Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young. The event kind of became very famous because of that song. It became even more famous. So she was actually a part of that whole thing. She said, the boyfriend of one of her friends was among the four people that was killed on May 4th, 1970 at Kent State. So a few years later, Chrissy decided to move to London in 1973. With her art background, she landed a job in an architectural firm, but left after only eight months. She said that I knew nobody when I got here. It was real good for my own personal discovery. I could do and say and think anything I wanted. I stepped off the plane at Heathrow and onto English tarmac with Iggy on one lens of my wraparounds and Pop on the other, written in old English lettering, which I'd carefully applied in Halbert's whiteout. Satorally, I was a victim of the Summit Mall, but I was trying my best to look cool enough for London. I'm here. So she was really trying her best to fit in with English culture. And in her book, she really does an interesting job of like describing the differences between English culture and American culture. Like it's really, really fascinating how she breaks it down, um, especially from an Anglophile like myself. I, I really love England so much um, as an American. So hearing her talk about that and like being in the thick of it, especially in the 70s when that punk movement was happening is really, really fascinating for me. So if you feel like checking out her book, give it a read. So yeah, so she would start out by doing kind of odd jobs here and there wherever she could. At one point, she met NME rock journalist Nick Kent, and she actually started a journalist position at NME. So she would write music articles for them, which is fascinating. So after she kind of had that job for a little bit of time, she then got a job at Malcolm McLaren and Vivian Westwood's clothing store called Sex. And this is kind of the epicenter of the Sex Pistols story. Because this is where Steve Jones comes in, this is where Johnny Rotten comes in, and Sid Vicious comes in. They all kind of come to this store, and they were doing their own thing with like really outlandish kind of bondage type clothing. 
Johnny Rotten would audition for the band at the store. Sid Vicious would come in as well and hang around. She at one point tried to convince Steve Jones and Johnny Rotten actually to marry her to get a work permit because her permit, her visa was coming up and she wanted to keep working and living in London. So she's like, wait a minute, I have this perfect opportunity here because in the Pistols series, it was shown that there is a romantic involvement with her and Steve Jones. Chrissy's version is that Steve offered to go to a registry office with me and do the unmentionable he pulled out and then Johnny volunteered to take his place. When they made it to the registry office the following morning, they found it to be closed for an extended holiday. So kind of fate brought that whole thing down there. Can you even imagine that? So interesting that even happened. I can't even believe that she attempted to marry not only one but two of the Sex Pistols. So the Sex Pistols were getting bigger, obviously, and we all know what happened with the Sex Pistols. Um, Again, I did a whole episode diving deep into them. If you want to listen to that story specifically, pop on over there. But getting back into Chrissy's version of events, she was in her own right trying to form a band from the get-go. Actually, in the story, she hoped that she would get in with the Sex Pistols because she knew how to play the guitar, she knew how to sing, um, and she had hoped that maybe, you know, as the Sex Pistols were changing out band members, that they would ask her to join the band. But obviously, that never happened. And this is a whole anchor point too, where kind of back then in the day, it was a bit unheard of where women would be in a band with other guys or that women would lead a band. Comparatively in America, you had like Heart, you know, the two sisters in Heart. You had Joan Jett and a couple of other ones. It's just like interesting how that all compares to one another. But back in the day, especially where she was at, it was really hard for her to form her own band and be like the the front person for the band. So she had a really, really, really hard time trying to form her own band. She would go from place to place to place to place to place for the next couple of years um, until the end of the 70s, trying to get in bands and figure her stuff out. So Chrissy initially moved over to France to try to form her own band in 1975, but it didn't work out. And then from France, she moved back and she tried to form a band in Cleveland, Ohio, but that also didn't work. And then for some reason, she thought she would go back over to France in 76 to form a band again, but it just didn't work out for her. There was one point in time where she would join this band called the Frenchies, And occasionally when they needed a singer, she would fill in for them. Um, But that was really all she kind of ever did really for that point of time. She then returned over to London during the early punk movement in the late 70s. So she responded to an advertisement one day in Melody Maker for band members. And she attended an audition for the band that would later become 999. I don't know who that band is. I'm sure they're a punk band, but I've never heard of them before. People who actually went to the audition would actually become big celebrities in their own right. For example, John Moss was there. He would later be in Culture Club. And Tony James of Generation X was also there. And later on as well, Chrissy tried to start a group with Mick Jones from The Clash. She was tied to a lot of these really interesting punk artists, especially when they were starting out back in the day. So interesting that she was like involved and tied into all of them. It's like so interesting to me. And as an American, she was tied into it. Really, 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 really cool. So, you know, after trying really hard to form her own band and having no success, Malcolm McLaren, who is the manager of the Sex Pistols, and he was dating Vivian Westwood. He was hanging around the shop 
sex, of course, Malcolm tried to help her out a little bit. So Malcolm placed her as a guitarist in a band called Masters of the Backside, but she was asked to leave the group just as it became The Damned. The Damned is another massive band, huge, massive punk band. She was actually with The Damned for a little bit of time, too. Can you believe that? So, you know, Chrissy was really having a hard time trying to find herself, and she would, she just loved music so much. She just wanted a band of her own. She really just wanted to do something with her life. She recalled this period of her life as saying this, It was great, but my heart was breaking. I wanted to be in a band so bad, and to go to all the gigs, to see it so close up, to be living in it and not to have a band was devastating to me. When I left, I said, thanks a lot for letting me come along, and I went back and I went weeping on the underground throughout London. All the people I knew in town, they were all in bands, and I was like, the real loser, you know, really the loser. Chrissy also spent a short time with the punk band The Moore's Murders in 1978, and of course, The Moore's Murders, if you don't know, I mean, I'm not going to get into it fully, but The Moore's Murders was like an event that happened in the 50s slash 60s in Northern England. Ooh, it ties back to the Smiths, because Morrissey wrote a song about The Moore's Murders. Children were killed on The Moors. That's basically what that is. And she was in the group for some time, but then she left because the name of the band was drawing a lot of controversy. And she was like, um, yeah, no, I'm not going to be in a band called The Moors Murders. That's just not happening for me. She left. And at this point in time, it was 1978. So she was getting close to forming The Pretenders, but it's, it's really coming up there in time. So in this year, 1978, Chrissy made a demo tape and gave it to Dave Hill, who was owner of the label Real Records. Dave stepped in to manage her career and began by paying off the rent that she owed on her rental room in Covent Garden, London. He also advised Christy to take her time and get a band together. So this is what she did. She met bass guitarist Pete Farndon and they formed a band with James Honeyman Scott and Martin Chambers who did drums, vocals, and percussion. And how they even came up with that name in the first place was Sam Cooke did a cover version of the song called The Great Pretender that was a song by the Platters. And she really liked Sam Cooke, by the way. So as the Pretenders, they recorded a demo tape and handed it to Chrissy's friend Nick Lowe. And they produced a single, which was Stop Your Sobbing on A-Side and the B-Side was The Wait. And they performed their first gig at a club in Paris. The single was released in January of 79, and it hit number 33 in the UK, which as a single, their first ever single, that's not that bad, actually. That that did pretty decent. Their second single, Kid, followed to similar success in July of 79, and in November, the Pretenders released their first signature single called Brass and Pocket in the UK, which hit number one in the charts in January the 19th. 1980. I love that song. I think that's probably one of my favorite songs by The Pretenders. It's a really, really good catchy tune. She's kind of very blasé about the whole thing of her being like this influence, especially for women. She just wants to make music and have it be that. But for me personally, I just think that song is so, 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 so good. Yep, there you go. Those were the singles that they produced and they came out with. This single, Brass and Pocket, came out the same day as their debut album called Pretenders. Now, to kind of get myself a little bit more ingrained with the Pretenders, you know, prior to this, I knew a couple of the Pretenders hit songs. 
Um, but yeah, so I knew a couple of songs from The Pretenders, but I didn't really know a whole lot about them. And so I listened to their debut album um, a couple days ago. And I was like, you know, it's not bad. Like for a debut album, they're trying to bridge a new wave with like a punk feel. It, it wasn't bad. It really wasn't bad. I would say for the time period, I'm sure it would have been like an absolute massive hit. And it was. It went to chart at number one as well. I'm not saying that I'm a massive Pretenders fan, but they have some pretty good hits. And um, Chrissy's voice, obviously. She has a really interesting voice. I just, I really enjoy her voice a lot. So the Pretenders, pretty decent. Not bad. So following this, the band released an EP called Extended Play, and then they released The Pretenders 2 later in the summer. Their singles, Talk of the Town and Message from Love, were on both of those. So those also became massive hits. The Pretenders lineup would change repeatedly over the next decade, mostly because James actually died of a drug overdose on June 16, 1982, just days after Pete Farnden had been fired from the band. And then even more tragically, Pete himself would also die of a drug overdose the following year. They came back with a reformed lineup for their next single, Back on the Chain Gang, which is one of their massive tunes. It's, it's a pretty decent song. And the band settled with Robbie McIntosh on guitar and Malcolm Foster on bass during the recording of their next album with the hit Learning to Crawl. Malcolm would leave the band in the mid-80s before the Get Close album was released in 86. The album itself included the hits Don't Get Me Wrong and My Baby. The Pretenders had some really good songs, didn't they? I'm just, I'm just so, I don't know, I'm really inspired by Chrissy Hind and her ability to just stick with her dreams and her visions and she has come so far from her trying to find her way in the world and trying to form a band and it never worked out for her but then it just all of a sudden kind of happened at the right place right time for her i, I love it i i really do um so the pretenders would kind of have a couple of albums here and there in the 90s nothing really too crazy by this point in time in the 90s, she was the only stable member of the band and she was the only original pretender left. Everyone else had kind of been replaced, if you will, obviously because of the tragedies that happened earlier. You know, the pretenders would have, you know, a couple of albums from the 90s and it would move through the 2000s. Some of the albums that they would make up until this point are Screw Loose in 2002, Break Up the Concrete in 2008, Alone in 2016, and Hate for Sale in 2020. And like I mentioned, the hit single, I'll Stand By You, was released in 1994, and that was another massive tune for them. Yeah, you know, I remember that song playing on the radios. You could not escape that cover. It was everywhere. You go to the grocery stores, the supermarkets, you go to the gas station, you go restaurants. It was playing everywhere, that cover in particular. So I grew up with Christy Hines' voice, and I liked her. I, I liked her voice. I still do. And basically, that kind of sums up Chrissy's involvement with the Pretenders. I think they're still making music. I don't know if they're planning to make any new um, albums or anything like that. But that, in a nutshell, is kind of what the Pretenders is all about. I mainly wanted to focus this episode on Chrissy and what her story was because I really find her story to be really fascinating. But it also strikes a chord with me again because of what I talked about before. Like, we have the similarities of loving England so much. She couldn't foresee what was in her future, but she just had a dream, she had a vision, and she moved with her passions, and it led her to fame and fortune, and even though she doesn't, like, harp on any of the accolades, 
she's very punk rock. She's very uh, rock and roll in her core. And I really like that about her. She's like no nonsense. She's a very strong, powerful woman. And I think she kind of is is up there with a lot of other female artists as well um, of her ilk that are just very timeless. You know, her voice is really particular and it's something you don't hear very often. Um, so I'm very grateful that we have Christy Hind and that she was actually so embroiled with the Sex Pistols. I just kind of wanted to end with this quote on what Chrissy had to say about moving to London and punk music in general for her. She said, quote, it was kind of a do-it-yourself time and it was really not about musicianship. It was about personality and attitude. I am very grateful to punk because I was a girl and I felt like if I got in a band, I'd be kind of a novelty act. But punk was all about non-discrimination. No one cared because it was punk. So, you know, anyone could do anything they wanted. And that's really inspiring when you have that attitude of, you know what, anything can happen. I'm just going to go out there and live my dream. I don't care about any of the other context around it. I'm just going to do what I want to do. I think that's really, really inspiring. And her story is really fascinating for me. And um, that, in a nutshell, basically is the story of Chrissy Hind, how she became involved with the Sex Pistols, how she almost married two of them, and her life with the Pretenders. I hope you guys enjoyed and that you learned something today that you hadn't known about before. And again, I just want to say before I leave, I would genuinely recommend that Sex Pistols series. I know that John Lloyd and himself doesn't want to have that series out here. He doesn't agree with it. He doesn't like it at all. Um, but genuinely, like the actor that plays Johnny Rotten in the show is incredible. Similarly with everyone else in the show, it's such a well-cast series it's really informative it's really fascinating really 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 cool um so i highly recommend it it's only six episodes if you have the time and you are a fan of music or you're a fan of the sex pistols you're a fan of english music check it out so yeah and maybe this will inspire you to listen to some of the pretenders music as well i mean any of the massive singles that i told you about before check them out listen to them maybe you'll find a new song that you like but I'm going to leave it there. Thank you guys so much. And I will see you guys next Wednesday with another episode of On The Mix. Talk to you guys later. Bye, guys. Bye.